Today, we're talking to Susan about her new book, Somatic Internal Family Systems Therapy, Awareness, Breath, Resonance, Movement, and Touch in Practice. Susan, welcome back, and thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much. It's wonderful to be back. I feel very honored. Welcome back, Susan, and um, many congratulations on your new book, Somatic Internal Family Systems Therapy. Mm -hmm. Before we dive in your book, let me share that I keep such beautiful memories of our time together in Lisbon back in April 2018 and February 2019. It was a privilege to benefit from your precious presence and help to certificate the first IFS Portuguese practitioners and therapists. Mm. So I feel still grateful for the way you led those trainings and you offered participants a great experience and um, understanding of the model. Also, I want you to know your trainees in Portugal miss you, respect you and admire you. Oh, thank you. Well, just even right now hearing your voices and being able to see your pictures too, which I can see right now. It, It just brings back such wonderful memories of uh, just being with that amazing group and the, the growth that all of us experienced being together, drawn together by this amazing model that I, I just have been so privileged to teach all these years. So, But being in Portugal was among the highlights, I think, of all my teaching experiences and And I thank you both for that because you both contributed to that, to that. You probably, Anibal, so much just uh, with your also falling in love with the model and being wanting, wanting to offer this to people that, um, that you're teaching. So, yeah, just lots of appreciation all around. Good way to start, right? Mm, <laughs> absolutely. Susan, how have you been and how are you coping with these tough pandemic times? Oh, yeah, it's been, what, maybe seven, eight months or so. And um, I, I, uh, I sometimes have parts that, that criticize me for being slow to adapt to the, the changes that we need to make. And then I remind those parts that, you know, to just step back a while and let me just be with the difficulty And, you know, as someone, like you said, Tisha, that is um, focused very much on the somatic aspects, I think, I think I do process things through my body and it's been more difficult to get all the information that I need um, in this more limited context of, of uh, Zoom, you know, the, just the online, online experiences, both with clients and with uh, teaching. There's been um, undeniable losses. Uh, at the very beginning, I lost my mother. And then a week later, very afraid I was going to lose my daughter who had a serious case of COVID-19 and who had even some post-viral uh, symptoms. But I'm happy to say that she seems to be fully recovered now. Mm -hmm. 
and one of the the one of the gifts of this whole thing was when she and uh, her family which includes two of my grandchildren came and spent two months with us here and we just we all had a lot of fun and of course it was a lot of changes but it was uh, just kind of set everything aside to just kind of be present with them for the summer and you know the the summertime hasn't been so bad because we have found creative ways to get together with friends you know outside and um and I have to admit too to some parts that are wondering what the the darker days, the colder days will bring when there's less opportunity to do that. But you know, again, all in all, I'm so aware that most of us here are so much more fortunate and so much more blessed than so many people, yeah. uh, the people of color in our country and yeah. and uh, people in developing countries around the world and people with less resources and people who don't have access to Zoom and, you know, internet and on and on. I mean, I, we really every day, and I'm grateful for my my spouse, you know, that I'm not alone. I'm not isolated yeah. really. And mm-hmm. um, just, I feel just a, um, maybe even more aware of the, of my, of the interdependence of all of us on this web. And, and, you know, it takes me back to my early days in IFS. I was talking with a friend and colleague, another IFS trainer just yesterday and, we both were sharing how one of the strong things that drew us to this model was the community. Yeah. Just the mm-hmm. wonderful people that are drawn to Dick Schwartz and to the model. And, you know, both of us had said, we just kind of looked around and kind of got a sense of the people and said, wow, this is, this is an amazing group of people. We want to, mm-hmm. we're going to stick with this. Not only is the model great, but the people that recognize how valuable this model is and that want to, do whatever they can to promote it and to teach it and to uh, share it with their, their clients and patients. So, yeah, I just have... Uh, both that sense of loss with how do we carry on without in-person trainings and and particularly over time zones. Oh, the challenges, you know, to try to translate what we've offered in person to a more restricted mm-hmm. uh, venue. And yet, and yet just uh, the, the un, unexpected gifts and just, you know, it's been a lot of lessons for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So thanks for asking. It's a good way to start, huh? Yeah. So Susan, focusing on your new book just released in September, right? I found your book a powerful reading and learning to get a closer and more appreciative relationship with my body. Find it an eloquent deepening of the IFS model, full of clinical applications and examples. And I'm still in the process of reading it. How long did this project took you since you started the writings? I remember you announcing a sabbatic time to work on it back in 2018. And of course, we can see this book start back in 2013 when you wrote that, that article for the IFS New Dimensions book, right? 
Yeah, I, I can't really say that the idea for a book started in 2013. I think, again, there were parts thinking, oh, I'm not an author. I can't write a book. I wrote that chapter and that was enough. You know, I was glad to be asked to write that chapter. And, um, but I never really considered uh, a whole book mm-hmm. until I, mean, I, I really should try to go back through my records and see when I actually began. It was kind of looking at my computer and seeing how many little little pieces of writing I had done, you know, maybe after a, a particularly moving session and wanting to record that, I would take some time to write that down. And maybe I would read what someone else wrote and I would take some notes on it and mm-hmm. put that in another file. So I began collecting a lot of stuff and and um, and just began to think that oh, maybe someday I'll put this into a book form or something. But, you know, honestly, I think what really motivated me was when one of my um, former students, someone who had been at both at Costa Rica and had been in a, a training that I had done, said, you know, basically sat me down and said, Susan, mm-hmm. someone needs to write a book on somatic IFS, and it should be you. Mm-hmm. And if you're not going to do it, I'm going to write it. <laughs> And so I'm like, whoa, it's, she's right. It's got to be me. I mean, maybe other books will come too. But, um, but you know, it's interesting. Like I, I remember when I first years ago started offering, you know, long before 2000, 2013 started offering um, uh, like three-day workshops. I thought, what do I want to call it? You know, and, and I just decided to call it Somatic IFS. Mm-hmm. And um wasn't really sure whether there'd be much interest in it. IFS is already, you know, a fairly embodied model. And yet I began to see the value of bringing the body in even more fully than we typically do in IFS. I was certainly doing it with my own clients and Mm -hmm. the participants in the, in the trainings were giving me feedback. Like there's something a little different that you're offering. And I got curious about that. And so out of that, I began to offer more and more of, uh, you know, giving myself more permission to really more fully bring the body in, which I didn't do when I was teaching the level ones and level twos. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but over, you know, I, I think probably when I was in Portugal, I guess two years ago, I was already in the middle of it. So perhaps I started about three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um just you know at first thinking i don't even know if someone will if i can find a publisher but i can always self-publish it and i did submit a proposal and to north atlantic books and was quite surprised i thought oh maybe i'll have to you know yeah i don't know but they 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 quickly said yes we want to publish your book and I'm like, oh my gosh i guess it makes me an author so at that point i got pretty busy to not just with the first chapter or two but to really begin to flesh out the remaining whatever six or seven or eight chapters that are in the book and um yeah just um anytime i had some free time just sitting down with my little laptop and putting it together and it was it was just really one page at a time you know it was kind of amazing it just all came together Mm -hmm. and it was really quite a quite a nice process that was of course completed maybe i don't even know for sure well i guess it would have been uh maybe sometime in November or something of of this year that they wanted it to be yeah. the final edits to be completed. 
so it's just it's just been an interesting process. I would really encourage anybody with an inclination to to do this to to go ahead because it's um you know I think the more you write um, the more you really learn what it is you're trying to teach. Susan, um, I picked up this book. It just it just came to me a couple of days ago, and it is such a gift. And your writing it, it's it's easy to read. It is it addresses just an aspect of the model that is so important. And I wanted to to give our listeners a sample of your writing and a, a sample of why somatic IFS is so valuable. If I could read the the first paragraph of your introduction. Are you all right with it? Sure, thank you. Great. So it says, including the body story along with the verbal story in therapy illuminates and awakens what has been obscured in darkness. The feral animal of our body, startled by light, may scurry back to hide in dark corners. The touch, the nourishment, the movement that our body craves may be buried under a history of neglect and trauma. We may feel our body has betrayed us. We may have internalized an objective attitude toward our body. Our individual hurts and collective societal burdens lodged in our tissues await the light of our courage and compassion, shining into the depths of our interiority, leading us to the essence of our being. It's so beautiful, Susan. And this book is a guide for how to do just that, to bring light into the depths of our interiority. And so, you know, thank you. Oh, thank you for reading it. Yeah. And also, Susan, you got a sweet forward from Dick Schwartz, acknowledging your central role, developing the model along the way. Yes. Yes. He was very kind. In his introduction, yeah, I was so, again, honored that he wrote that introduction. And he's, I've always felt his support, you know, even in the very early days, he was like, well, yeah, bring it on. I, That's not my gift, but it is yours, you know. Mm-hmm. So exactly. um, so I've appreciated that. And and I think it, there were times when I felt a bit on the the fringe, you know, of, of the, the rest of IFS as other uh, – other topics were offered in level two. It never seemed like anyone thought about the body, you know. But I, I just kind of kept going because I thought, well, it's important to me and to many people um, who who support it, um, who who have supported me. And yeah, I, I just I just and the two of you too, even right now, it just is kind of um, it's just amazing. I just keep breathing it in, and uh, and it. And it really gives me fuel. I think too about you know as a writer. I again I didn't know particularly. I didn't particularly think of myself as a writer. But um, Marielle Pastor, who who wrote our latest mm-hmm. version of the manual, asked me to write a piece or two for that. And she was one person who just said, "Susan, you have a voice." And I'm like, really? You know, I didn't. I didn't know that. I uh, I guess that was a part of me that didn't have the confidence that I 
could find my voice and I had a voice. And, you know, another connection, you know, no, I think maybe you're right. Maybe I did begin this more when I was teaching in Portugal, because I remember um, Enrique, who was a PA during the training, yeah. And he mm-hmm. said, you know, Susan, I'm glad to hear you're wanting to put a book together because my wife, and she's, um, we, you know, we have a publishing uh, a publishing company with this niche that your book fits into perfectly in, in uh, Barcelona, outside of Barcelona. But also my wife is, um, you know, is an editor um, and a, a coach, I think is the word I'm looking for. I think she's a writing coach. So it, it turned out that I, um, I ended up actually not working with her for more than a session or two, but but I, again, I, when I was in Portugal, I got so much support from the two of you for um, moving ahead and, and from Enrique as well for, for continuing on with this, uh, this process of book writing. You break the book down into awareness, breath, resonance, movement, and touch. Um, can you speak a little bit about um, you know uh, how you began to organize the somatic IFS in the in this way? Awareness, breath, resonance, movement. Yes. And well, touch. you know you have to come up with some way to, to structure things, right? You know. So I did uh, again years ago. I think when I. Uh, possibly even 20 years ago, like, how is it that I can convey this that I do? And uh, it just, that's, those are sort of the five practices or aspects of the work that seem to encompass it all. Sometimes in writing the book, I thought I could have just picked one of these and written a whole 250 pages on, you know, on somatic awareness, for example. Mm -hmm. But when we, but obviously it begins with that. And I think of awareness as just the foundational practice. And, you know, awareness, don't you think it's fairly synonymous with self-energy when we are truly aware? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When we are aware without an agenda, but just sort of that open awareness not needing to find something that has to be fixed, but, or, you know, something wrong or something good or whatever, but just opening, opening up to that broader field of awareness that includes our body, of course, and mm-hmm. the sensations that that's really where we begin. And, um, and in order to really open up that awareness, we first often find the parts that, like I say, in that first paragraph, um, maybe are afraid of opening, of shining the light, onto those dark corners that we find the parts of ourselves that are that block that awareness. We begin with that. We begin with the protectors that block our awareness. And then as we move into more and more awareness, that that leads us to we become aware we're breathing. And then lo and behold, we can deepen into that practice. It's like, oh yeah, all this breathing, which is both voluntary and involuntary, both conscious and unconscious, what happens when we bring awareness first to our natural breathing and how can that help us both access parts, but also witness the part story? How can breathing kind of be an opening into some of our parts? How can breathing be an opening to more self-energy? How can we breathe into those places? How can breathing really be a vehicle for the light that I mentioned in that first paragraph? How can you know our breath shine a light on places in our body that are tight or un, unavailable to us. 
it's it has been re- breathing has been recognized for millennia by many um, spiritual practices and body mind spirit practices yoga in particular the pranayama as a tool and there's so many breathing practices that can help us with our healing with the transformation and again it's just always there it's always there a breath away right just like oh my breath if I'm feeling like overwhelmed or I'm feeling my trauma, you know, come bring, bringing me up, you know, but that actually, I'm glad I said that because the, these two practices, somatic awareness connects us with the ground below us, the earth and conscious breathing brings us to a more awareness of the space around us and the infinite space above us. So in a way, those are two amazing resources when I'm sitting with a client who's Who's bringing on, you know, bringing to me, sharing with me in a very sacred space, the the depths of their pain, and I I might get overwhelmed if I didn't remember that I have this access to a bigger space of self energy around me, before I open into that relational realm, which is the third practice, which is resonance, and that gives me the the grounding, the anchor, to be willing to enter into, I just can feel it even right now, like, isn't that amazing when we just really, when someone trusts us and says, I'm going to share with you how I've been hurt. And it is, it is such, it is such a, a, an honor, really. And how can we be fully, fully embodied in an embodied way present, not just to the verbal story, but to all that they're sharing non-verbally, that is much more than half of the story. So we use our bodies as a vehicle to really open to the entire story. And when they, they sense that full-bodied resonance, that full-bodied witnessing, and invite them to fully embody their own witnessing of their part as well. So, so in a way, these practices are sequential. Like we first have the somatic awareness of our own bodies and of our clients' bodies and help them become more aware of their bodies. We become aware of our breathing, help the client become aware of their breathing. We're just multiplying the resources to be able to then resonate with the body stories, the verbal and the nonverbal stories that our parts so need to be heard. And not just heard with our ears, but heard with our hearts heard with our limbic brains, you know, so in that chapter, I go into various uh, aspects of our body that we use to resonate in this radical fashion, which is our hearts, our limbic brains, and our guts, really, our enteric nervous systems are also a part of, uh, of our connection with other human beings. Yeah, just taking a moment myself, because it's very it's uh, you know it just means a lot to me these these practices I've been living and breathing them for for years now. Well, I think it would it would be really um, it would be easy to skip over the value of resonance. You know, I was so surprised to 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 see the the equal value that you give it to breath and awareness. Yeah. Yes, and. I, I can't really say any one of these is more important when I when I talk about them, when I say, oh, no, somatic awareness is the most important. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Breath is kind of right up there. And then, yeah, radical, well, but not only can we not skip over it, but sometimes I think that's that's it. You know, that that's what we do. This this resonance that 
that um, needs to be acknowledged and not just acknowledged, but kind of, um, kind of, kind of, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't even want to say practiced because I mean, I mean, I think resonance maybe is like a practice, right? To allow, to find our blocks again to resonance. Uh, all, each one of these practices begins with finding the, the parts of ourselves that don't want us to fully open to, to utilizing these practices, both for our own, our own selves as well as our clients. But, um, but we all have blocks. We've all been hurt in relationship and we all have parts that protect us by, by not letting us open up quite so much. And as therapists, I think sometimes we don't know if we can fully let ourselves resonate with such a painful, traumatic story, you know, as we hold back a little bit, right? Do you feel that too? Like, like, oh, I don't know. That's, that's, oh, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But when we, we find when we have those first two practices and we trust that it's, that we'll be okay, even if we can reverberate, uh, you know, that we can reverberate with far more than we even imagined. And we can invite our clients to also reverberate with their self, with their part stories. And it's none of it is ever more than we can handle. None of it is. Susan, you say somatic IFS consists of these five practices that you started describing. Yes. And you also say those practices can be sequential and interdependent. Yes. As you also illustrated. But how, how do you differentiate awareness from somatic awareness or even breath from conscious breath or resonance from radical resonance but let's start with the this one the, the awareness is there some difference between awareness and somatic awareness it's it's uh that's a really good question and i and i i think throughout this book i'm just wanting to um emphasize the whole the body you know mm-hmm. that our parts are are embodied And if we don't experience them that way, then it's because that part or another part is blocking us from from experiencing the embodied aspect of it. So I bring the adjective, I have an adjective in front of each one of these practices just to emphasize something, you know, so somatic awareness, of course, we're aware of what we're thinking, what we're what we're feeling, but even just stopping there, that um most everyone is agreeing that our emotions have a source in the body. So our emotions are not never separate from the body, even though mm-hmm. in, in our culture, we tend to say, oh, well, I'm confused, or, well, I'm frightened, or I'm angry. And then you say, well, where do you feel that in your body? They're, they're not really sure. Or even say, what are you aware of right now? I might even say, what body sensation are you aware of? And they'll say, oh, I'm confused or I'm angry and frightened. It's like, yeah, it's okay. Those are emotions. And where, what is the source of those emotions or those mental states? Like confusion is more of a mental state. What is the source of that in your body? And oftentimes it's hard to find. 
I don't know. I'm just angry. Oh, yeah. Would you be willing to just stay with that anger and just be curious about maybe how your body participates in that emotion? So I emphasize, Anibala emphasized the adjective somatic as a way to say there's something of value, I believe, that comes when we focus our awareness on our body. And, and actually, as I hear you feedback what I said about, uh, what Tisha also said about the sequential nature, I also want to say these, these practices are not only sequential in a very mm-hmm. linear way. Of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but they are and not, not just only dependent on the one that lies before it in, in a sequential way, but there's actually another dimension to these practices where they are very nonlinear and very interdependent. So we can start with movement, like many movement, like dance movement therapists might do. Like, let's just, let's see what movement wants to happen, you know? And then you begin moving and then you go, oh, is this some part of me moving? Is this self-energy? Like, who is it that's moving? And what happens as I move? And can I become aware of what's happening in my body? What sensations come up as I let this, as I, you know, let this, uh, you know, as I stamp my foot or as I make a fist or as I, leap around the room or even just make a little shift in my posture. What, what happens as I do that? Um, so, so they're not only sequential and dependent on each other, but they are nonlinear and interdependent. Mm-hmm. As a body worker, I often began with touch. Mm-hmm. People came to me because they wanted my touch. I'm like, okay, yeah, let, let's, let's see what happens when I place my hands here. Yeah, like what images come up, what feelings come up, what memories come up, you know. So so we really, we can begin with any one of the practices. I am so grateful you included touch. Um, it's... It, it's so important. Oh, absolutely. And it's also, it, I think it can be a, a little dicey uh, yes. to talk to therapists, counselors about using touch and you incorporate it so beautifully, but how, how was it for you to begin to own that touch is a part of a somatic internal family systems therapy book? Yeah. Great question. I began to realize that my parts were exiling touch, which is just so ironic because before I, I, I um, became a Hakomi therapist and IFS therapist, I was a body therapist. I was doing cranial sacral therapy and structural body therapy. And, you know, so in a lot of ways, I have a lot more experience with, with touch, but I was uh, being influenced by our culture and by the reluctance to, by the, you know, the diciness of it, to um, when I would have an opportunity to do um, workshops or trainings, I somehow was never leaving enough time for this final practice. I'd be like, well, it's either working with a tuned touch or doing the, an adequate completion for our time together. Well, we'll just spend a little bit of time on touch so that we have enough time to really complete, you know? And I started noticing that that was a real pattern. And I thought, I can't let this happen. I really need to look at the parts of me that are colluding with the culture that has made a separation between mind and body, and particularly between um, 
touch therapies and talk therapies. And, and, and um, in the process of seeing these parts that have been so influenced by societal burdens and uh, both understandable caution and also in many cases, I think, uh, uh, almost throwing the baby out with the bathwater, if you want to use that awful expression. Um, but it, there's so much, I think, I, as I describe in the book, that touch is so powerful. And that's what I got in, in touch with myself as I found my parts that knew had experienced both personally and also with so many clients on my table, the power of touch and also knowing um, the power to harm. You know, so there's a power to heal and the power to harm. And that a lot of our uh, very understandable uh, inhibitions and regulations against touch are to, to really safeguard our clients from the abuses of touch. And yet the more I read, I realized that these, uh, these well-intentioned safeguards are not what's really needed to truly safeguard our clients. Instead, what's needed is for each of us to work with our own uh, experiences with touch, both abuse of touch, neglect of touch, and our positive experiences with touch to, to um, unburden those parts with, uh, that, have, you know, that have been hurt. Um, mm-hmm. And to then, then we can truly bring in self-led attuned touch as an offering. Plus, of course, when with um, with therapists who who are in very real ways, um, um, who, whose you know regulation or insurance or you know whatever would be threatened by by incorporating touch, that is not not at all necessary to include attuned touch in the panoply of practices because we can all of us do without even thinking we're all when we're doing IFS, we're all um, making the possibility of the self of the client to touch the the parts, particularly our exiled parts. They often long for just to climb right in our laps, right? Or be hugged or held by us. So, Imaginary touch is what I call it in the book. Just imagining, is it, what is that part? Does a part want to get closer to you? Yes, it wants to. It's, it's actually jumping on my lap. Oh, great. Yeah, is that okay with you? Yes, it's fine. Any parts concerned about that? No, not at all. Good. Well, what happens for your part when it's feeling your arms around it? Oh, yeah, it's just really relaxing. And what happens in your body as your part? Oh, my whole body feels relaxed. You know, so so that's the imaginary touch. And then and then. Um, and then can is there a place in your body that would like your touch right now and frankly even in when i do in person work oftentimes that's all that's needed so i i don't really come come up against that dilemma hardly at all um and in the ifs model is so much about our own self energy healing our parts that oftentimes that's what's needed and and um, it, sometimes I will only just say, "Would you like my touch in addition to yours?" Oh, yeah, that might be nice. Let's see how let's see how that how that feels. And it either feels really good or unnecessary. So, um, 
But for some of the people who have taken my trainings, they may be touch therapists, you know, they may be body workers or um, osteopaths or doctors or nurses who professionally are licensed to to bring to bring in touch. And it's really important body workers, did I say that? Yeah, massage therapists. Um, yoga, yoga practitioners who often will incorporate, let me just touch you here to bring more awareness to the fact that you could, you know, shift your posture a little bit. Um, it's really good to have this information to know that they're touching not from a part that has energy of there's something wrong with what you're doing. And I'm going to have my, my, um, my criticism, my, my fixing part come through the energy of my hand, but instead more of a, let's just touch here to see what's needed. You know, I mean, to see if my touch can bring your awareness, your breath, your, my resonance to that touch. So, so just, it's, it's a very different uh, approach to touch than, than many of us were trained as body workers to bring that energy. Uh, so yeah, that you can see, I have a whole chapter worth I want to talk about about that. But I appreciate your your question, um, Tisha, because it does um, <laughs> it it does uh, there's there's a lot there that I have to say about it. Yeah. I'm glad that you called the, this beautiful chapter the power of ethical touch and that you gave your readers good tools and guidelines to to follow on this so much needed approach to touch. Yeah. Yes, the power of ethical touch, right? Attuned touch and ethical touch. And, and, and touch from embodied self-energy. And that's why it's the final one, really, because it relies on, on the practices below it to, that, that we go through, that we immerse ourselves in these practices until we can be assured that we are in that state of embodied self-energy and that we're not touching because our parts want to be touched. We, our parts want us to touch. Our parts need that touch. Or our parts feel... Like if we touch, then, you know, anyway, it has to really be ethical. And um, and I think the best safeguard against the ethical touch and attuned touch is really not external regulations, external protectors, you know, societal, societally imbued protectors, but instead our own internal sense and our trust in the client knowing, being able to tell us, like I would not, I would not touch a client who is blended with the part, for example, um, because I wouldn't mm -hmm. be able to trust that they, in telling me, yes, yes, it's fine, go ahead and touch me there. I wouldn't be able to trust that it really was fine with their parts and they weren't overriding many other parts who are basically kind of going, no way, you know, no way, I'm not ready for that. And many of my trauma survivors, when I was doing body work, taught me that, that it was really important for me to find a way to to um, to bring in that that quality of touch, or else I was re-traumatizing them. Mm -hmm. One thing I love about this book is how you use examples and and um, and and you you give a lot of exercises. But I, I wonder if right now you could share an example of of healing touch where 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 touch might have 
helped a trauma survivor. Uh, well, interestingly, what you just said, Tisha, actually takes me to, at home, I will get to your question, uh, I mean, your, your, your uh, invitation. But first, I want to just acknowledge, and I think the book does that, I want to just acknowledge all the people came before me with each of the chapters. I mean, I am in a way, I'm standing on the shoulders of so many people who with each of these practices have written books and devoted their lives to, from for really hundreds of years in many cases to each of these practices. And, uh, and so not, I mean, I'm not making up any of these practices, obviously. And, and many, many teachers have, um, have uh, taught me so much over over my decades, really, that I just want to again bow to all of them and um, and hope that my book at least touches in on all their contributions, including on on the uh, this very dicey topic of attuned touch. Um, hmm. Again, I, I think it's, uh, you know, I don't remember any of the, any of the examples that I might have put in my book, because that was, you know, perhaps a year ago that I wrote that chapter. And, and often when I, when I think about what I just mentioned, like the, what I learned from my, um, my trauma survivors in my, in my, uh, when I was just many, many years ago, just doing, just doing touch, I think about, and I, I think I mentioned her in the book, if I, if I recall, um, that her protector parts were assuring me that um, the structural therapy, which is a fairly intensive uh, kind of touch, you know, very, very uh, deep into the fascia, you know, she's like, oh yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine with all this touch. Just go right ahead. I'll just, I'll just be light laying here. But after a few sessions, I began to wonder, I just began to have some questions about whether she was really receiving my touch and started to talk with her about it and finally um, realized that she had a very, very, uh, very severe trauma history that uh, although she was seeing a therapist was not resolved fully. And I, I invited her therapist to come in to our sessions. And so it was myself and this client and our therapist and together we found out that what she could be somatically aware of was not even with my touch, but just her simply her own awareness was one little finger, a portion of her little finger for about, you know, just a few seconds. That was so different than what I assumed when I first started working with her. I had to back way off in my both. I, I just did touch her for quite a while until her parts were, and we, I, just, I didn't even know about parts. I didn't, you know, it was not long before IFS, even before Akoni, um, that I just, I eventually had her be able to inhabit her body more and more, and then began to find ways to use touch to help her and safely inhabit her own body until we expanded that to uh, more than a few seconds and more than just her hand, more than just her arm. And eventually we really did get to a place where, she not only could inhabit her body, but begin to tell me what kind of touch she uh, really wanted and could take in and appreciate. And, you know, could really take it in and not just, not just survive it, right? But to really, you know, uh, enjoy it. And so she really came to a place where she could enjoy her body. And, uh, and so I just have to credit her once again for, um, teaching me so much about touch and about the 
about how far back oftentimes we need to go to um, in that in that therapeutic relationship to know that we can be fully present and they can be fully present to what we're offering. So I think that was really the foundation of much of the later work I did with IFS and touch with my clients. So, so I hope I hope that that's a, a good enough example, Tisha. It's a great example. Thank you. And just quoting you from that chapter, you say attuned touch can repair the wounds from too little of the right kind of touch and too much of the wrong kind of touch, restoring our birthright of sensory aliveness. So well put, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, too too little of the right kind of touch and too much of the wrong kind of touch. I mean, I think most of us can relate to that, right? In our childhoods, there are times when even those of us who were fortunate enough to not be seriously, you know, wounded with touch, I think we all can remember the uncle who tickled us when we didn't want it, right? And you know what I mean? Or or the, the aunt who insisted on a hug or, um, you know, not get, not being, you know, being maybe seven or eight and wanting to climb on her mother's lap and being told we're way too old for that. And, you know, those are just experiences that all of us can relate to and all of us deserve to have healed and not just have to cover over, cover over and just soldier on regardless, you know, that we all can go back to those, even what we consider as minor wounds. Mm-hmm. But um, to to get the right kind of touch, right, mm-hmm. and particularly during this pandemic, how many of us are yeah. not getting? I mean, I can say I'm among those that are not getting the touch that uh, I was counting on for my physical and emotional health mm-hmm. from acupuncturists and chiropractors and body workers and friends. Every time I see a friend and we're six feet away and I just go, oh, I wish we could hug, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and we all go, oh, I know, and we just can't, right? So um, just to even acknowledge those parts that are longing for that touch, and we have to say, I'm so sorry. And then we can, you know, someone said to me, instead of, you know, what my, the gesture I'm doing right now is stretching my arm, arms out as if I could hug you and I can't, <laughs> which is good to just say, oh, I want this and I can't have it. But then to come back and just, you know, put my arms around my own arms and shoulders, my hands around my own arms and shoulders and go, yeah, okay. And this will have to be enough for now, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Susan. The somatic IFS differs from the so-called regular original IFS or just deepens original IFS? I mean, I noticed, for instance, you refer the unburdening process can be different than the shamanic one that Michiroses and others put together. You say unburdening can be spontaneous and felt in our body as well. Do you want to comment on this? Well, you two have fantastic questions. 
Um, yeah, because it gives me an opportunity to clarify because uh, I do want to clarify that I am not creating a new model. Yeah. And, and I think people who have read the book will, will realize that, that I'm not trying to teach IFS all over again, only bringing the body in. I am more saying those of you who already know the model, um, primarily because you've been through the training or even people who are still quite informed about the model through other, you know, other venues or having been clients of, you know, IFS clients that they will see that I'm relying on a certain base understanding of the model. And I am like, it's like an adding to it, uh, not just on top of it, but sometimes going underneath and finding the, the, the embodied roots of it. So it's so that's the first thing I, I just want to be able to clarify that I'm not creating a new model, but but um, at least that was not my intention. I don't believe I have created a new model, but but yeah, unburdening is um, again. I think I go back to my years many decades ago and uh, um, uh, working with people on the table and learning so much about the therapeutic relationship and about how change happens and how healing happens. Um, by being present with not just touch, but also with the, uh, from the very beginning, open to like very curious about how are the emotions being expressed through body symptoms. And I found that unburnings were happening spontaneously um, as we brought body and mind together, that that created the alchemy for the unbur for, a tr for transformations to be happening. And we would then just go, oh, there was a big shift. Did you feel that? Yeah, I felt that. Let's be with that. Let's just stay with that shift and let that, let that unfold, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I just, I'm so glad you, you told me to stay with it because I'm just feeling like this energy streaming through my body that I never felt before. Or, or oh, and I get up off your table, I feel there's this, there's this new way that I could, you know, I have a new alignment with, I feel more connected with the earth and I feel my breath is just able to be come in more freely. And, and I feel my heart open. You know, people are just sharing all these things that are happening just simply from, simply, but through that. So I be, already had a, a foundation, I think, of experience of unburdenings that then under, underlay, is that the right word, underlie, underlay my, my understanding of what Dick was teaching me about his, um, his experience with unburdening that was also uh, informed, I think, by Mitchie Rose and, and other, uh, others of us who were there at the beginning who, who um, helped him really understand that, um, that, un that unburdening, we could, we could bring in the, the, uh, the four elements, we could bring in the horizon, we could bring in the light, you know, we could bring in these various elements to help the unburdening process. So I, although I incorporated that, particularly when I was teaching the IFS trainings, but when I come back to somatic IFS, I come back to my, the, my base, which was realizing that uh, in a way unburdenings are happening all along and it can, it can help the process to just stop for a moment and say, oh, a little shift. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. part is trusting you, isn't it? That part, oh, and that part heard your words uh, it just it just sort of shifted somehow, didn't it? So so I really take unburdening as a bit of more of a process rather than event. That unburdening um, is is definitely happening in the body. In IFS, again, we we say where is that burden in your body, and that can be very useful. 
Um, but sometimes it's not necessary because it's just so clear where the burden is in their body. I don't have to kind of go back and touch back into the body. We've been with the body all along and the, the burden ha- has been unburdening through the body all along. But then in the actual unburdening process, um, I, I, I typically don't go to, uh, do you want to let that burden go through the earth, through fire, through water, through air? But I more will say, how is it that that part, what is, how, I like to engage, maybe because it's more fun for me, I like to engage the creativity of the part. How, that, is that part really ready to let go of that? How, how would it like to do that? Does it have an idea? Well, sometimes you get who has no idea. Well, then I say to my my client, well, do you have an idea? And then I engage their pre-creativity. And if I hear I have no idea, I'm ready to do it, but can you help me? Then I'll go, well, yeah. And I'll either go with one of these elements or I'll go with, with, I'll just tune into, you know, the field around me and just say, how does this particular part, what's the best way to let go of that burden, you know? And uh, it's just more fun for me. It's more fluid, I guess, for me. So um, so I appreciate your question, Anibal, because I think I offer, uh, I think, an equally valid uh, and perhaps more entertaining or uh, interesting way to um, to acknowledge the the little the the little micro um, bur- unburdenings and and then the more macro unburdenings that are happening during the course of of our working with with clients. Mm-hmm. Susan, you finish your book with a chapter on the embodied self and another chapter called Nobody, No Mind, No Self, No Parts. It kind of looks kind of a spiritual approach to the model. Do you want to say more about this? Oh. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I... You know, I whenever I think there is a there is a way that the this spiritual realm is something harder to talk about, and it's something that takes me a while to to enter into. Um, mm-hmm. And I think writing that that book was that chapter was I wasn't sure all along how I would end the book. And I think that uh, an immersion in each of the five practices, and that which lead to embodied self, mm-hmm. and deepening into a description of embodied self, and trying to deepen into that description while being while staying embodied in myself, mm-hmm. which is a bit of a challenge sometimes when you're sitting there sometimes for too long, you know, <laughs> when my body is kind of saying long enough, you know, get up and move around, but denying, unfortunately, some of my parts that, but just staying with that and typing with my fingers on the keyboard and, and yet trying to stay embodied as I write it. And then finding it just finding that it just took me to the spiritual place. I don't know that right now I can, I can, um, I can articulate it. 
So I don't know, maybe, maybe you can do that for me or Tisha or can say where it took you maybe as you, as you read that. I haven't, I haven't gotten there yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm still working on embodying myself energy. Oh, I know. I know. Well, maybe it happens sometimes. Sometimes yeah. I just, you know, when you feel a deep connection, when you feel that just natural confidence or clarity. I just found those um, absence of boundaries, the no body, no mind, no self, no parts, such an expanding um, experience for, for us collectively. And I found it beautiful and maybe it speaks for this spiritual approach. Actually, that helps me. Thank you. Because I do, I think all along, even, you know, decades ago, I did realize that, you know, and of course our culture, which I explained, you know, at the beginning of the book, that our culture, which has created this, um, a Western culture, meaning our culture, has created this sort of somewhat artificial, but perhaps necessary for our development, separation between mind and body. Mm-hmm. And many of us, I mean, I, th- I think, again, decades ago, I realized that this this was uh, a, an artificial separation. And I think in the ensuing years, much many more of our, particularly the therapy culture has recognized, particularly with Bessel van der Kolk's wonderful book, you know, uh, with, with trauma, but just with more and more of these um, clinical issues that come to us that we we need to bring in the body. I have found that when we bring body and mind together, whoosh, you know, it opens us up to the spiritual realm. Mm-hmm. And, and again, uh, body, mind, and spirit is really over overdone. It's become almost trite. They, they sell shampoo with with it, you know, with it, and mm-hmm. everything else. Right? It's become a marketing ploy. Yeah. And yet, and yet, it's really true that when we bring mind and body together in a very full and authentic way, we just find ourselves in this realm of spirit. Where the, I guess when you said like the boundaries, in a way, I mean, we need the boundaries, of course. And yet there is an also an unboundaried place, which is a realm of spirit, right? That we all we all know, we all sense, and we know yeah. Yeah. when we when we can enter into it. Yeah. And it's a bit of a gift, isn't it? It's a bit of that illumination. Yeah. Like we can't really just turn on the light, but we we do what we need to do before we end up the the, the light just emerges, right? Susan, we would like to wish the best journey and success to this new book of yours, Somatic IFS. It's been a pleasure to read it and a pleasure to grasp it somehow with you today. I'm sure it can help us collectively to find a better relationship with our bodies and minds and also deepen our IFS understandings and practices. I'm also looking forward to a time when, as you say in your book, touching and hugging is no more dangerous and we can confidently benefit from the healing effects of loving and that you touch, as you say. Mm-hmm.
So, Susan, thank you so much for having us and for helping us with your wisdom and this book to welcome and better inhabit our bodies. It was a joy to be here with you and Tisha, and I hope we can keep meeting, sharing this model, our work and our lives. Mm. I'd like to say thank you as well. Just that this is this book is an incredible contribution to the community, you know, greater than the IFS community, all the people that will be healed mm. and all the lives that will be touched by your your wisdom. Thank you. This has been lovely for me too. And, and in a way, you know, the completion of the book and then the final steps of the actually getting it out there and, you know, even a, a little bit of promotion. I, I think this, this um, talk with you is, is a necessary step for me to begin to take the next step, which is I think offering some trainings and first, you know, um, of course, online, mm -hmm. but I think I do want to begin to um, to to find ways to um, do this in an embodied way. So, um, again, just to let the listeners know that I will be because a lot of people are asking about that. So I just will be um, working towards that. So so thank you for this important step towards being able to do that more fully. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Susan. Thank mm -hmm. you.